0: Election season is upon us, and Renew Missouri is going to be doing candidate education. What is that, and why should it matter on how you vote? We'll find out more this week on Renew Gurus. I'm James Owen, Executive Director of Renew Missouri, and your host with the most, Uh, joined today... Uh, with our policy nerds here at Renew Missouri, Matthew Patterson, uh, who's like, what, policy advisor? Is that what you are? Sure, why not? I will call you whatever. You've called me a lot worse. I have called you much worse. And uh, this week, uh, we have Philip Frisica uh, running our boards. He's going to be doing our producing for this, so if you don't like the way it sounds, well, then email Philip. So let's just jump into this. Um, Some of you may know, by looking at your television, uh, that we have an election coming up in a couple of months. Uh, Missouri has got one of the more closely watched U.S. Senate races in the country. We have Claire McCaskill, who is the incumbent uh, Democrat, running against Josh Hawley, who is the uh, state's attorney general. He's running as a Republican. Uh, we also have a state auditor's race, but we also have all 163 state rep seats and half of our 34. Uh, Senate seats up this fall. Uh, Matt Patterson, um, we have a lot of House reps, don't we, in the states? We do. We have uh, Missouri is kind of a, one
1: of the states that has like more state reps than most other states
0: per capita. We have the second most. Yeah, right behind New Hampshire, which Where is like everyone's a state rep. Yeah, like one
1: only well, yeah, got like one state rep per like thirty five hundred people. Yeah, it's
0: insane. I mean, but we do have several, and our state our Senate's a little more proportional. Uh, and while we don't have a competitive race in every state rep district, we do have a Democrat and a Republican running in every Senate seat this year. Is that right? Uh, I think with the exception of, like, one,
1: yeah. Oh. The St. Louis seat. Okay. Uh, in the city. I think that um, think that primary was decided. Okay. I decided the winner. Is that
0: that Michael Williams or Michael Brown or something?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, that won that uh, race there. Yeah, uh, I won't say Brian Williams, but that's...
0: I actually think it might. Well, we'll look it up. We'll figure it out. (laughs) Edit this part out. Um, Yeah, yeah, we're the big experts, right? On Missouri politics. Um, Well, I mean, okay, so 16 out of the 17 seats we have competitive races. Uh, You know, we have most of the House seats
1: are are contested. They have both a Democrat and Republican running in those seats. Right.
0: And more, than, more than we had last time. Yeah. More, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's safe to say, I mean, you know, you're looking at a lot of, in, in urban areas and rural areas, you're probably not going to see a lot of transition from parties. But I mean, is it safe to say that we've got some suburban areas in Missouri where the races are a little more hotly contested than they've been in the past, say, eight years or
1: so? I think so. I think you see, you'll see a lot more uh, races up and down the balance in St. Louis, Kansas City area, even in Springfield. Where we see, uh, you know, good-spirited, contested races, which mm-hmm. is good for good for everybody. The more contested races we have, in my opinion, the better. Yeah. Uh, people should have the opportunity to vote for a candidate that they feel best represents them. And when you don't have, you know, if someone is unchallenged and you don't feel like they represent you, then... I think that leaves quite the hole in, uh, you know, in our democracy.
0: Right. So, I mean, we have a lot going on as far as, uh, you know, kind of these contested races here in Missouri. And, you know, we're in Missouri. We uh, we do some lobbying in Jefferson City. Um, we can't do a lot of lobbying because we are, um, you know, we do have to adhere to IRS rules. We're a 501c3. Um, you know, Matthew, you kind of help. You, well, you do run, uh, you know, a kind of a sister organization of ours, Renew Action. that's C4, and it can do a little more political work. Correct. But yeah. that's, not the, that's not the capacity you're here in today. No, no, no. No, no. We want to make sure that if anyone's listening that we've got that down pat. But, yes, we do do some lobbying. We're limited about the amount of time and money we can spend on that. More importantly, uh, we do receive a lot of grants here at Renew Missouri, so all that grant money we can't use. Uh, for lobbying purposes. So when we ask you for donations and we ask you for contributions and we bother you, we're usually doing that for money to help us with our lobbying efforts. So that's a quick plug for you in case you haven't given us money. So, and I'll throw this out to Philip as well because he's been here a little longer than any of us have. You know, when we go down to Jefferson City and we talk to state reps and we talk to state senators and we talk to Republicans and we talk to Democrats, I mean, do you feel like there's a lot of I mean, do you think people are really well-versed on renewable energy and energy efficiency, Philip?
2: No. Okay. uh, Primarily. (laughs) Yeah, that's harsh. Primarily because of term limits. Uh, Okay. When we educate folks and then there's someone else in office it's you know, starting from scratch again. Um, We do get very educated uh, lawmakers once they've served for a little bit and we've had conversations and they've talked to utilities and they know uh, who's serving uh, customers' needs in their district. Um, But but really, it'd be nice if we could have some more experienced folks around.
0: Because I think you bring up an important point. We do have term limits in the state. Uh, The way it is right now, you can serve eight years in the House of Representatives. You can serve eight years in the Senate. And that's it. It's 16 years. Um, And it is. I mean, when you look at, like, what a state representative or a state senator has to know, they have to know about budgets. They have to know about health care. They have to know about crime. <laughs> and then we get to utility issues. And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, utility issues are a challenge because we do have a lot of people who do that kind of work in Jefferson City. We do have a lot of interests that are represented in front of the Public Service Commission. And I think just like it is with the public, and I'm not trying to say anything dismissive of the public or dismissive of our elected officials, you look at utility issues and say, this is too complicated. I can't. For the life of me, you know, begin to understand all of this. Even though, I mean, I think it's designed to uh, put people off and make them think they can't understand it. When really, with a little bit of education, yeah, you can kind of figure it out. Comment. No, I think you're right.
1: Yeah, that's, that's you hit the nail around the head there. I yeah, I think that's. I think people do think that. No utility issues are not something I can understand. But once you look at it. And once you really, you know, it's like, you know, that's what we try to do just lay it out to them right. in a way that is, is easy to understand and um, is helpful in yeah. their decision
0: making. And, you know, and there are a lot of groups down there that we see eye to eye on this, it, you know, not on every issue, but we do work a lot with a lot of consumer groups. We work a lot with, um, you know, other, you know, kind of renewable energy groups, you know, individual companies, um, you know, at times. probably more times than not we work with the utility companies on that but um you know look we don't agree with everything the utility companies do um i think we see more value in more rigid oversight from the public service commission they see that as a barrier uh to getting capital uh to help build these projects i mean that's just something that we have seen attention on i mean it's kind of historically been like the past nine or ten years that you've seen a lot of acrimony on these issues Uh, But, I mean, that is something that's always going to be a challenge. The the monopolies, the investor-owned utilities, they want to be able to have more freedom to uh, build these projects, which gives them more freedom to access money for them. So we obviously like the Public Service Commission. We like its regulatory oversight. We like the fact that it can direct policy. That's a big thing we do. Uh, But, you know, so having said that, we do have a lot of lobbyists in Jefferson City that represent our friends at the uh, investor-owned utilities. As is their right to do, as they use uh, shareholder money to do that, they don't use ratepayer money to do that, and so it's a challenge. Um, and so we're kind of going up against a lot of other people who are more have more robust funding, uh, have more of a presence there, don't have to worry about those IRS rules that keep them from being there literally all <coughs> of the time. So. What we're looking at doing this fall is this concept called candidate education. Now, that might sound like, you know, don't a lot of, you know, groups do education, but a lot of that stuff is to voters. Now, I mean, what do you think when you hear that term, candidate education? I you mean, know, can you kind of explain what in Missouri is thinking about
1: doing here? Sure. I mean, what we're trying to do is trying to help, you know, uh, get our issue out in front of them is one of you know the first thing but we also want to educate you know voters there's a lot of voters that are interested in mm-hmm. energy policy and how it affects them you know how it affects the state and the environment and whatnot and um, so we want to really get uh, a, you know try to figure out what the views are of our candidates and to see you know whether you know the issues that we have see if they agree with them and if they don't know about them it gives us an opportunity to talk to them about you know what, what our issues are, and how it affects their districts, and affects their constituents, and what they can do. You know, within as if they're elected as a legislator, what they can do to help steer that. You know, steer us into a, a direction of you know more renewable energy, more energy efficiency. Yeah. Uh, but with you know, this gives us an opportunity to also. You know, bring these candidates. You know, we've sent out questionnaires asking oh, folks, yeah. and uh, but we also, and we'll, we're collecting that data as we speak, and we'll be sharing that data with folks, you know, through our website and through um, other means of communications. And we'll uh, also, what we're looking at doing is doing a candidate, um, kind of a, 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 um, uh, candidate, um, well, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Forum forums. There, yeah, right. there you oh, go, right. Yeah, hey. It happens to everybody. It does, yeah. So we want to do these forums across (laughs) the state. Um, We're looking at doing them in Kansas City, St. Louis area, Columbia area, Springfield area. Right. Where we have more, um, you know, we have more candidates that we can get to come to our events and to get more people out and to get out um, and to listen to these candidates um, talk about renewable energy and to talk about our issues um, that, that... can affect you know their you know their constituents so um it's really something that i think that will be a good uh tool for people as they make their decisions up, you know make their decision you know to vote for come november
0: you mentioned we did some candidate surveys um we sent those out what a couple weeks ago to yes, the people yeah. who are successful in their august primaries um have we gotten a good response back from that yet we are we're getting uh, quite a few folks uh responding.
1: Uh, we've We've made it easy for folks to do either do it online, we've sent them, we've mailed them, also mailed, emailed them and mailed them, mm-hmm. you know, these um, these questionnaires. So. We have really pestered them to death. And we're going to pester them some more. And so. we will. <laughs> and we know there's a lot of groups out there, I mean... That do this very thing. Yeah. Uh, almost so I mean, every
0: group that's involved in Jefferson City does some sort of thing like yeah, this. Yeah, right? so
1: I mean, we know that they get inundated with these requests, and, you know, we know that... Not all of them are going to respond, but it's our goal to make sure we get as many people as we can to respond. And if that, you know, requires sending out a couple emails, maybe make some follow up phone calls. That's something, you know, that's on our end to do. Um, that way, we can make sure to let people know about as many of the candidates as we as they can. And
0: we're still working on because we are working with a couple other groups, working with the uh, uh, National uh, Resource Defense Council (NRDC). Uh, we're also working with a group that is is relatively new to uh, Missouri. Uh, they're the Young Conservatives for Energy Reform. Uh, they're kind of started out as kind of an offshoot of the Christian Coalition, uh, but this is a group of. I mean, these are this is a national group. I mean, they're actually when you talk to them, uh, they really know this stuff very very well. I mean, I say they have like a really good nuanced view of how uh, you know energy policy laws work around the country, and they are starting to look at a focus. In Missouri, and you know, they will kind of be focusing on you know conservative politics and trying to make the conservative argument for um, you know for changing the way we do energy in the state. It's not always gonna be perfectly aligned with renewable energy and energy efficiency, but it is gonna be in about I don't know, probably 80 percent of the time. Um, and so, we're working with them, we're gonna be doing these forums, so we're still working out the dates and we'll get all those out to our supporters. And we hope that uh, when that's done. Uh, when those dates are set uh, you will be able to attend that Uh, we'll be able to try to get out the information about what these candidates said what they're interested in you know it kind of ways to give all of you a sense of what's on our mind about like what we talk about because we can talk about like oh yeah we like renewable energy and oh yeah we like energy efficiency but really when you think about what does that mean And I mean, one of the things that, uh, you know, our group um, has kind of been known for is, you know, 10 years ago, we did these renewable energy standards that were part of a ballot initiative that required investor-owned utilities to hit certain amount of the power they receive from renewable sources by 2020. That's two years from now. And actually, it looks like they've all, all three of the electric, in, I guess, technically, all four of the investor-owned utilities, the electric companies... Uh, Amron, Empire, kcp and kcp Greater Missouri Operations are going to hit those or they already have hit those. Um, so, you know, that's not something that's going to be a real issue for the next two years. And we have to look at whether or not that's going to be something we breach in the legislative session or we have to go back to the voters. And that's something that we'd always love to see that get put in front of the uh, of the legislature because that's a lot less expensive than doing a ballot initiative. But, you know, it's it's tough because really the utility companies even if they develop their own ambitious goals, I mean, I was at a, a conference – not a conference. It was a meeting this week at Washington University, and Ameren said that their goal is to reduce their carbon emissions by 80% by 2050. That's – I mean, and really, like, when you think about that, I mean, like, a lot of, a lot of utility <laughs> companies have made those goals, but Ameren has been historically – reliant on coal and nuclear. I mean, I know nuclear is relatively, I mean, you're not talking about the same emissions that you're talking about with coal, uh, but they're pretty coal heavy. And so that's a big yeah. deal. And so they are willing to make those voluntary uh, uh, goals, but they don't want those to be dictated to them. So that's that's a real question there. You know, another big issue we get, and this is always something that's um, pretty controversial um, and something we fight really hard for, is a concept called net metering philip if you're not too busy over there uh producing this can you uh give the fine people home like kind of a nutshell version of what net metering is and when i say nutshell i mean (coughs) quick
2: (laughs) sure okay Uh, net metering uh, is the policy where every missouri utility um, has to allow you to interconnect with their utility grid Uh, To produce your own power, usually through solar, to offset your utility bill usage.
0: I mean, in other words, I mean basically, if you're not using power that you make off your solar, you get to sell a certain amount of that back to the utility company, and they have to pay you a wholesale rate instead of a retail rate.
2: Is that right? If you go beyond your usage, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's capped, so you can't just make endless amounts of power.
2: Um, and, and usually you want to design it to what your usage is going to be. You, if, there isn't a big benefit if you produce beyond what you're using.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, but, you know, and that's something that is the law of Missouri. Not every state has that. And if they do have it, there are some pretty bad restrictions on it. Like, for instance, in Kansas, they are have the ability to put fees on that. And that's something that's going on right now uh, with the West Star case over there. Uh, which is going to soon to be Evergy with KCP and L is that they're they're trying to think about like putting imposing a fee on to solar uh, users on their system to basically wipe out any economic benefit from it. We don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean it's just
1: basically is going to wipe out the solar industry in in Kansas.
0: It, and I think it's has already done a lot of that. Just the threat yeah. of it has, and I think that if they if the Kansas Corporation Commission over there, which is the um, which is the equivalent of the Missouri PSE, uh, if they agree to this, which I think they're going to be making a decision on that really, really quick, um, yeah, it will kill it for good over there. So we're worried about that. We're watching it. Uh, we tried to address it in the uh, in the Star Kansas City Power & Light uh, merger case that uh, we actually <laughs> will just bring this up. For New Missouri was the only holdout on settling that, and it went to hearing over this very issue. So... We tried to get that. It might have an impact over in Kansas. It didn't work. The commission disagreed with us. Um, so we know that's a concern over there. It could be a concern over here. Uh, we dealt with this two years ago. Uh, it got very far. It passed the House of Representatives. Uh, thankfully, it got bottled up. Um, you know, we worked really hard with uh, Mosea, uh, which is the solar energy industry group here in uh, Missouri. A lot of rooftop installers there a lot of utilities, solar uh, people there. And we got it it killed in the Senate thanks to then Senator Ryan Silvey, who's now in the Public Service Commission. Um, But we had someone file it last year. And we had some pretty big utility uh, legislation going through, so it didn't really get a lot of attention. But, I mean, we think it might be going through again. I mean, I think that... I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think that that's an expectation that they're going to try to take another run for it. And so, to me, even... You know, we have a we have a fair amount and this is growing every day. We right now the majority of uh state reps and state senators are Republicans. It's a veto proof majority, as a matter of fact. We have a lot of Republicans. Um what is it? A hundred and hundred and fifteen I think. Hundred and nine is the number. So
1: but they're a veto proof. Yeah. Yeah, but they 15, have 15
0: out of 116. 15. Out of 163 state reps, 115 of them are Republicans. That's a big majority. And in the Senate, what is it? Are they are they at 24? 24, 24 to 10? Yeah,
1: 24 to 10. With the yeah. re election of the um, Ryan Silvy seat went to uh, Democrat Lauren Arthur. Yeah. So that'll be yeah. The new Senate will have
0: 24 to 10 at least. Uh, I mean yeah. I mean it's it's. You know, there's probably some competitive races there, but not as many as in the House. I mean, you're going to see a lot, just the way they're drawn, you're going to see a lot of those uh, seats stay in the same hands. So it's really incumbent. I mean, even though I think that a lot of our supporters, you know, and I think a lot of the assumption is, is that Democrats are more pro-renewable, you know, more uh, pro, um, you know, some of the things that we do. But, I mean, there are a lot of Republicans out there, especially in suburban areas, uh, where they might be at some risk. Uh, of losing their elections, um, you know that that's that's kind of a bipartisan <coughs> issue. There are some really good um, renewable energy uh, people out there, like Independence and yes. Jefferson County, and those places that are considered the swing districts in Missouri. I
1: would agree. Yeah, that, yeah, and you know that's just something that you know we hope that we can bring to the forefront. You know, when there are competitive right. seats, that you know people can get their you know this issue can come up. And we can actually have, you know, by inviting and having these forums, inviting people to come and share their views. Because I think it's the best way to communicate when it comes straight out of the candidate's mouth. And, you know, you don't have to see it on a flyer or someone misrepresents it in right. a radio ad or whatever. Um, you know, it's just the best way to, you know, directly talk to the, to the constituents mm-hmm. out there.
0: So. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, it seems it seems that if you're looking at this from a – and we talked a little bit about this with Scott Roop uh, on our last podcast, that there should be a – there is a compelling Republican argument out there that if you want consumer choice, if you want to have options instead of just relying on a monopolist, monopolistic utility, like the investor owns are, like the municipals are, like the co-ops are, I mean, they are monopolies. And – if you are a conservative, you're a Republican, and you think that, um, if you think that uh, your government <laughs> is inefficient and bloated, I mean, it's hard for me not to take that attitude and say, well, doesn't that apply to a business that doesn't have to compete? And why should I not have that option when technology allows me to make power on my roof, or it allows me to, you know, use combined heat and, you know, the CHP? which is another thing that we're trying to advocate for here through regulatory means. Why can't I do more of that? And that, to me, seems like a good, compelling, even if it's not a Republican argument, <coughs> it seems to me like it's a good libertarian argument. And there's a string of libertarianism that goes to a lot of the elected state reps, especially the ones that are from our neck of the woods, where Matt, Matthew and I are both from southwest Missouri. A lot of libertarians down there um, who you know are suspicious, and rightfully so, of of what you know, kind of these uh, large, um, you know, people that you have to buy your power from, where you have no other choice. They're, they're suspicious of that, and I think that's I think that's healthy, yeah. and I think that should be natural. And I think that it's just a matter of saying to a state rep, whether they're running or whether
2: they're elected,
0: this is something at least you should be skeptical of.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean. One thing with the net metering argument, uh, when you're looking at who benefits if we add a fee to it, it's utility companies. Right. Uh, and regardless of political ideology and affiliation, all Missourians benefit from getting access to generate their own power. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, it just seems to me that if you have that, if you have the technology and you have the means, and you want to enter into an agreement. I mean, like, and everyone's going to say, like, but James, Philip, Matthew, what about the grid? What about all the damages it's doing to the grid? Well... Okay, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, do we even know if it's causing any damage to the grid? We don't. I mean, one of the things that the solar industry has been saying for a number of years, one of the things that this group has been saying for a number of years, is do a value of solar study. How much is this worth? I mean, here's one thing I can tell you. I'm almost certain, I'm almost certain, that the utility companies know how much solar is worth to them. And I think they know it's worth a lot to them. The only reason they don't like this is because one of the things where they make money, as we talked about before, they make money over being able to build things, building their infrastructure, building uh, plants to make electricity, building solar farms, building wind turbines. That's where they make their money. That's where they're able to get investment and be able to do this kind of work. When you have it on your rooftop, they aren't able to do that. And that's the problem. It's not a problem whether or not you know, well, is this going to cause a problem to our grid? We don't really know. That's not publicly available. I would say this right now. If the utilities would agree to do a value of solar study, we could have like an independent third party or the Division of Energy or the Public Service Commission do that. We'd support it. They should support it. But in the meantime, while we're looking at that, we shouldn't be doing anything. And then like really look at that.
2: Well, and, and to that point, uh, with Senate Bill 564 being passed and... The Grid Modernization Act. Yes. yes. And, and having a provision in there to allow for the IOUs to offer solar rebates to their customers. That's right. We're going to see a big increase in the amount of net metered installed solar in this state. Um, so really, I think it would be in everyone's best interest if we wait until all that has been given out. Sure. And then do a study to reevaluate if all this new installed solar has any impact on the grid uh, and when we talked about this a few years ago, it was a little frustrating because we didn't have proof or data to say, hey, we have this problem. Mm-hmm. And um, we're not Hawaii, we're not New Mexico, we're not Arizona, we're not California, all of which have a very large percentage of their customers producing their own solar where they right. can prove that there is a problem. Mm-hmm. We're nowhere near that in installed uh, amounts of systems. So right we really shouldn't be looking at it until we have some kind of evidence that there's a problem
0: yeah i mean i think this is a i think people are assuming there's a problem and we don't really know that for sure and i think that you know ultimately i know that like say the state of maine uh they did a value solar study which uh <laughs> was so positive that they <laughs> that they shelved it it's somewhere with the ark <laughs> of the covenant somewhere um yeah but i actually when i was uh when I was public council, um, with the state of missouri i met the uh main public council my counterpart there young really young guy um i was it was relatively young to be public council but he was like about 10 years younger than me and he um he was really enthusiastic about solar really thought there was potential for customer advantages to it and so they he got this push through and then nothing happened with it so i mean it is it's important and i think it's necessary but it's also important to keep that pressure on elected officials, it's that pressure to keep on the executive branch who might be overseeing, um, you know, a study like that. Because I think that would probably be the best place for it. I think the Division of Energy is probably a good place to start and making sure that they have the funds and the resources needed to do it. I mean, that's another thing, too. We want to, like, direct these agencies to do things, but then we don't want to give them money to do it properly. So, I mean, that's, like, something that I think. I know I kind of went off on a tangent here, uh, but that is part of, like, the, the candidate education that we're interested in. If there's any elected officials listening to this podcast, if there's out of the 10 of you listening, uh, maybe there's one of you that are elected and you need to talk to your fellow candidates, um, your fellow elected officials. And that's something that I think would have a lot of support. I'd have a lot of support from everybody, which is rare with utility stuff. So then there's also, I mean, one of the things that we came up with last year, um, there was a proposal put out there to put a wind farm moratorium. Uh, before we could study wind um now that in uh, that got through i don't think that got through i think that got voted on in a committee but it didn't go to the house they took the moratorium, moratorium off. off they took the moratorium yeah. off they want to do a wind farm study um which i mean look uh, you know and this is something matthew and philip you guys have been i mean philip was just in de county uh this week um, the University of Missouri Extension Center is, um, you know, doing these kind of listening tours in DeKalb County and uh, is it Ashton County or Nottaway County? Ashton. Ashton, which is in the very, very, very northwest corner of the state, uh, which has got a lot of wind farms. And, you know, if you want to talk to people who are really jazzed about wind, it's people in that town. It's people in that county. DeKalb County is a little more, um, it's a little more of an acrimonious subject there. I know it's acrimonious because I uh, wrote something uh, critical of the um, – let me see if uh, – oh, yeah, okay. Well, there is um, there is someone who's been getting into a fight with our Renew Missouri Twitter feed. I, I don't think <laughs> – I've been out of the office for the past couple of days and I haven't. I, I said something about how I thought the University of Missouri extension was biased in their language because they were talking about the concerns of wind farms. And this person said, "Well, you guys weren't there. Like three to one of the people, three to one of the people there were against wind farms, and you're just you're biased." I said, "Well, actually, we were there." And he, they, this person, uh, Leslie Dyer, is their name. You know this person? I yeah. I've heard of this person. I'm not trying. From
1: California, I believe.
0: California like the state. Yeah. Okay, a, uh, not California, Missouri where no. they big pork smokehouse. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, she she uh, he or she? I mean, Leslie she. can be a, a he, but she is apparently pretty um uh they they uh they don't like this apparently. And <laughs> no, I am they showed up. Leslie
1: was one of the people that showed up, I believe up to the uh, Adair and Schuyler County. Yeah. Yeah, because, okay, because Matthew,
0: yeah. you went to, Amron's Ameren, trying to build this wind farm in uh, northeast Missouri, in Adair County, and Schuyler County would be in two different counties. That's near Kirksville, which is near Truman State University. You were there. Um, a lot of the, uh, a, a number of these DeKalb County folks drove like two, two, hours, two and a half hours, two and a half hours, one way to this hearing, even though it doesn't have an impact on their part of the state. Um, and there's a lot of resistance. I don't know if there's a lot of resistance to it. There is a loud resistance. <laughs> there's to a this.
1: loud organized resistance yeah, and it's organized. Yeah. Uh, but
0: there is also people who are, are very supportive of this. Um, there are people who are farmers and landowners who are leasing this property out, making money off of this. Property taxes are you know you're seeing a base go up, which is good for the schools there. Uh, you're seeing more you know skilled jobs. I think one of the things that she was pointing out to me in her response is these skilled jobs they show up and then they leave. Uh, which I would not think is what a wind technician would have to do whenever they are, um, you know, supposed to be working on the wind turbine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so okay. So and I haven't got back to her because I just saw that because I've been trying to enjoy my day because I'm technically supposed to be off today, but whatever. I want to do this. So wind farm stuff is also something that's important to inform lawmakers about. I know that was kind of a I kind of went off on a tangent there, but this is something that's been you a tangent. No. I know. That's what keeps us fresh, folks. Um, Well, this is something that's been, like, a big issue lately with Renew Missouri. We have this big case in front of the Public Service Commission. Uh, The University of Missouri Extension Center has declared they're going to do this. Um, I think they have used language that makes me suspicious of their intentions. Um, I don't think I'm being paranoid about that. Um, I was just pointing out they could have said, well... We're looking at the concerns and opportunities to win. Yeah. So I don't know like why the University of Missouri Extension Center would have an agenda with that, but it seems like they do. Um,
1: and It's also going through the, not the Extension, but also through, what, through the law, law school. school, the
2: engineering, ag school, and business ag. school, yeah. Yeah. MBA students working on it as well. So In The
0: same business school that had a fellowship named after Kenneth Lay, the Enron founder. A yes, Philip. This is true. Okay, I don't want to impugn their integrity.
2: Well, that, that is good. <laughs> okay, uh, that's good. No, I'm not, a, that's a, not what I'm doing. Being a business school grad as well, oh yes, <laughs> spend a lot of time looking at Enron <laughs> and and why we have a gap now in other practices in the business world uh, to stop this mm-hmm. kind of uh, bad practices. So good
0: save. Okay, uh, <laughs> no, it's it's fine, Philip. But we are working on trying to educate lawmakers about wind because there seems like there's a lot of misperceptions out there there's not an emphasis on the economic advantages of it um and there's not even really an economic i mean we're not even talking about the fact that wind is incredibly cheap right now and it's good for customers so if you're like working at a if you're like a customer of a utility company which we all literally are <laughs> uh this should be a good thing right or am i missing something no as philip
1: points out, as pointed out several times The cheapest, yeah, the cheapest coal is still more expensive than the most expensive wind. So, Mm. you know, that's and um, even with this project we're looking up at that Amron's wanting to do up in northeast Missouri. You know, quite it's going to be quite the boon for that area. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're talking about over a half a billion dollars in um, in economic impact to this part of the state. There's not been that much of an, I doubt there's ever been that big of an economic impact in that part of the state. You're talking about their school taxes, like in Schuler County, which is a four-day-a-week school. It's a very wow. small, you know, rural community. Uh, they've had to go to four days a week. They're going to see, like, their taxes go up from, like, from go from, like, 200000 to over $800,000. That's quite the, you know, that's quite the, that's what expected, I should say. Um, and then, and in Dare County, you know, they're looking at, you know, doubling the amount of taxes that they will receive from these wind farms being, you know, in, in their communities. So, yeah. um, Sorry,
0: Matthew, are you saying this is also something that's good for public education?
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. well,
0: okay. That's something that I think elected officials should know.
1: Well, you know, I was talking to a woman up in DeKalb County, and she said, you know, their school, one of their schools there, and... DeKalb County, I can't remember the name of the town, but it was, you know, they graduated eight people, you know, in their senior class last year. And she's, you know, pointed out if we had not had the revenue from these wind farms, there could have been the possibility that that, that school would have been shut down and consolidated with another school, you know, by 20, 30 miles away from where that school is. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're doing, they're bringing economic growth and economic impact into these areas that have not seen, you know, have not seen this kind of. You know, growth in this kind of investment in quite a few years, forever. So and these
0: anti wind farm people, I mean, it seems like they ignore that argument. I mean, do you think they don't want the economic benefit there? Or what do you think is going on with that?
1: Well, they miss, you know, they miss cat- it or, you know, I don't know. They, you know, I, I have a feeling that some of them, you know, actually do have legitimate concerns. You know, that there were questions that these hearings that they had that you know people were worried about like such things as eminent domain and of course Ameren, these are not being taken by yeah these domain. are not you know these this company that's you know putting in these um, wind turbines for you know that will you know lease them back to uh, amarin or they're building them for amarin um well you know have actually you know made the rounds and talked right. to landowners and have you know secured enough spaces or land for these to be built so um, you know, Amory was very good at answering the questions. Yeah. Um, and, and I thought did a good job to you know, to let you know, let any fears of of what might happen if they went ahead with this. And, you know, that's what that's what you have these public hearings for. Right. Um, but I, I think that over into Cow County you didn't have that level of involvement and I think that gave the opportunity for a lot of these folks who didn't have the you know, who were not educated about that who didn't have the opportunity to you know talk to someone about what you know their questions or their fears or their concerns or whatnot So I think you saw a lot more building up of a lot more um,
0: anger. I don't want to oversell it but I do think if you're an elected official and you're hearing about this you have to look at the fact that this could potentially be wind farms, solar rays, could be what ends up helping to save the rural economy in the state. I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I think that sounds like hyperbole a little bit, but I mean, I think when you hear stories about farmers who are seeing economic benefit from this, who can still farm there and still run their cattle there, um, and then you see schools that were in threat of consolidation getting to continue because of this, I mean, it's hard for me to say, well, <clears throat> you know, if there are concerns about this, I mean, there might be some legitimate concerns. There aren't very many legitimate concerns out there. And I I think that if they are legitimate, they are outweighed by the benefit that you get. So, elected officials that you're listening, think about it.
1: Well, and look at the top, you know, look at the area we're talking about. It's the edge of the wind belt, as they call it. Mm -hmm. These northern counties, I bet every one of those counties has seen a decrease in population. Significant amounts of a decrease. I think all
0: of rural America has probably seen... Decrease in yeah. population. I mean, I'm from a rural part of the country. I'm from a rural part of the state. I don't live there anymore. Yeah. Um. My it was my sibling. Um. So you know, and there's a lot of people I know who just have moved out because there's nothing as far as opportunity goes to well, stay to keep yeah. you there, really.
1: And then if you talk about family farms, well, there aren't. You know, a lot of these family farms are being bought up by corporate ag. And, you know, you see, you know, the average age of farmers who have stayed, you know, are getting into the 70s and 80s. You know, they're yeah. yeah. So this is really an opportunity to, you know, you know, allow them to compete as a family farmer by having these wind turbines on their property. Yeah. It brings in revenue and it helps their families. And it helps their farms. And you know what? If it continues, I think it can help continue for another generation or two. You know these leases that I know they're signing up in northeast Missouri are 25 years um, long, uh, with you know to have these turbines. And actually, there's a 15 year extension um, after that 25 years. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about 40 years of having these, um, you know, on their property receiving leases. It's a good way to supplement their income, especially when you have lean years. Uh, or you have people, you know, putting tariffs
0: on soybeans. So mm. you have a, um, a big drought year. Yeah, a big drought yeah. year. Bad for bad foreign uh, economic policy going on from DC. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, uh, you know, this is what we're going to be talking about over the fall. And I mean, so I think what the benefit there is we do talk about this all the time in the legislature between January and May. And now is going to be an opportunity to get to people to get to people who are running before they get there. And if we don't, if they don't win, I don't think it's lost because it's still out there in the public. it's still something that is going to be uh, resonating with people and hopefully will help counter some of this noisiness. We are the signal in, in the in the noise And we're you know not only I forgot to mention
1: that you know not only are we doing these forums but we're also putting out what we call white papers. Ah yes about issues yes um, and it actually gives a greater explanation of you know these topics that we've been talking about today. Um, and some topics we haven't talked about today, yeah. but it'll actually, it's a way to educate even further. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about doing, you know, some webinars, uh, online tools and to do more of these podcasts, which.
0: Right. And I think kind of the one of the segues, I'm glad you mentioned that is because one of the reasons I want to do this today is because we will be doing podcasts on these topics, uh, that are going to be submitted to the white paper. Cause we know people are busy. We know candidates are really busy knocking on doors, raising money reading everything else that gets sent to them. And so we were trying to make this easy. So it's going to be available to everyone. So we're going to be talking about things like net metering in more detail. We're going to be talking about distributive energy resources, which we can deal with at the legislative level. We're going to be talking about benchmarking energy efficiency and combating poverty. So this is all going to be fun, right? Yes. That's right. Hey, all right, good. Well, um, and just to uh, a couple of plugs. Um, you know, When you're hearing this, if you're in the Springfield area on September 16th, we're going to be doing a screening of Happening, a Clean Energy Revolution at the Moxie Cinema there at the corner of McDaniel and Campbell there in downtown Springfield. We'll be doing a uh, happy hour at 4.30 at the Springfield Brew Company before that. Hope you can make it. Uh, we'll be doing uh, screenings of that hopefully in Columbia and in St. Louis and Gans City that we'll be announcing throughout the fall. We'll be doing these candidate forums. Uh, We're going to be doing rural outreach in northern Missouri. We're going to be starting that in late September. And, Philip, you're looking at something like you have something to tell me. Yes.
2: And here locally, we'll be doing our final Renew and Review happy hour. Oh, yeah. I almost Uh, forgot about that. uh, In Columbia at Dogmaster Distillery starting at 530 p.m. So if you're here locally or Yeah, what date is that? It is uh, Thursday, <laughs> September 13th. Okay, good. Because
0: we don't want you showing me a Dogmaster every day. Uh, unless you want to support those fine folks, because they're supporting us. But, yes, it is uh, September 13th, uh, 530 to 730, at Dogmaster Distillery. It's a really fun place. Uh, it's going to be, ooh, I think it might be our last new and review. Yep. That's good, because I feel like we've been doing this all year. So, I'm really excited that we'll have that done. Not that we don't like seeing you. It's just we, we usually do those, like, we've been doing those just in June. And I had the brilliant idea of spreading them out over uh, three months. And now I'm kind of wishing I just kept it at June. Anyway. It's, it's four months. It's four months. Month. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Thanks for pointing that out. No, I mean, it's a long time. All right. So candidate education, renew review happening. All these things going on. Very exciting. We hope that you follow us throughout the fall uh that you continue sharing this uh, podcast that you subscribe to it on itunes that you write reviews help get this out there uh we hope you're enjoying it so far this is our fifth podcast we're going to keep doing it until someone on my board tells me to stop uh matthew philip thank you well thank you james and oh yes and until next time seacrest out